0: plans are worthless but planning is everything general and president dwight eisenhower's wisdom still rings true today the mutual broadcasting system presents strat strategic risk assessment talk a forum with a preparedness mindset mitigating risks creating systems of prevention and recovery to deal with potential threats and understanding the objectives of a business continuity plan. This is the podcast for leaders who are committed to being prepared. Now, here are your hosts, retired marine intelligence officer and globally recognized risk expert, Hal Kemper, and investment banking executive, Mark Mansfield. Mark, we're gonna talk about
1: securing strategic sourcing. You know a lot of it's focused on raw materials uh you know some of it's tied to mining and things like that but also talking about products components critical things in everybody's supply chain and and talk about globalization but also some risks incurred from globalization you know talk about things certainly we learned a lot in the pandemic but now we have a major war in europe you know the talk of a major war in the south china sea all of these things have to be considered in our in our sourcing Strategically, our sourcing of materials, components, products, whatever it is you
2: know this is a pretty exciting uh uh topic here' uh, say not a little tongue in cheek, but actually uh <laughs> it is really exciting, and you know we, we, when you drill down into this it it's it's not as dry as it sounds so our 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 existence actually as a as a society driven uh you know by businesses that support us all is managing with good foresight and planning our strategic sources now there's a number of things you talked you you just touched on war just touched on geopolitical drivers we've uh, earlier in a podcast those have listened to us you you know we talk about uh climate change and how that impacts issues and then of course esg how environmental social governance issues and how that is going to realign our supply chains our sourcing decisions and how we address those going further further one quick one quick follow-up point these pivots are not made suddenly. They're they're typically have to be well thought through, and they are typically incremental. It's like turning the big ship around. It's not turning the speedboat around.
1: Well, and I, and I probably should set the scene. Why are we talking about this? Probably more than anything else. Uh, very simple. Russia invaded Ukraine. All right, and and Russia has a lot of things. Uranium uh, is a big source of uranium. Nickel, other sorts of things. But also a source of grain, of fertilizer, uh, and then, of course, you get into gas and oil. And what was the immediate thing? Over a period of many years, Russia had made big chunks of Europe dependent on natural gas and, to some extent, oil from Russia. The big fear was they could turn that off someday. We had, the U.S. had been talking about this for some time with our European allies, which is you're making yourself— uh, you know reliant on something that could be turned off arbitrarily and then the invasion of Ukraine happened and sure enough that issue came right to the fore and that was exactly what Russia had done was using that as a basically saying hey we're going to turn off your source of natural gas if you don't turn a blind eye to what we're doing that's changed the entire strategic math of how he viewed sourcing around the world
2: yeah and and actually you that brings it to a point that's kind of close to home from the fortress north america perspective of uh, you know when we are going to talk about the you know the shift to the evs and so forth but let's just talk about the fuel the the depends the, the, the dependence on fuel uh, i you know I, I hate to say that i do not agree with uh, some of our canadian policies in terms of not advocating the pipeline growth that we should have to be supporting our, our Western Alliance. So that, that, that played right into the point you're making about uh, setting ourselves up to be somewhat crippled possibly, but you know we are recovering. But again, and again, it goes to the point, none of this, whether it's a pipeline, whether it's redundant sourcing for critical fuels, materials, it, it can be executed. Uh, or pivoted upon immediately. So we, we, we must come up with a planning matrix, which we will come to momentarily.
1: Well, you know, we all have nefarious past, and in my <laughs> nefarious past <laughs> in the military, I was a bulk fuel company commander, which actually was a huge unit. I had over right. 300 personnel in it. But uh, so I spent years focused on bulk fuel issues. And one of the things with pipelines is, what an incredibly uh, you know reliable and and relatively safe and i mean that from an environmental level too much safer way of shipping uh products and we sometimes say bulk liquids too because you know there's a variety of different things but but uh it's a safer way to do it and i'm i'm with you on this i i think every time they say oh no we don't want a pipeline through here and they're talking about the fear of environmental damage it's like really because the alternative is to put it on rail cars and or or trucks which is even worse. And when you're talking about that, and we've certainly seen that around the country, where we have East Palestine, for example, you know, the danger, the risks that's incurred with that. So I'm a big fan of pipelines. I'm also a big fan of making sure the pipelines are safe and they're watching them on a constant uh, basis. But I'm a big fan of putting in pipelines. And I think, you know, both, both the Canadian government, but also in, in North America, the U.S. government as well, has has backed off of doing some of this pipeline stuff, and I think that's put us at a strategic disadvantage.
2: Yep, and, and to that point, the liquefied natu- uh, natural gas that was required just on the heels of the Russian invasion to support Europe, which was at great fear. Now, fortunately, the winter wasn't as draconian as they thought, so it bought us a little time. But we should be moving. LNG is a, a viable alternative. Call it a bridge until, uh, uh, you know, to, to bridge us to the future while we get an EV infrastructure established, which is going to be, frankly, decades. We should pivot uh, pipelines, we've covered that, but just in terms of the whole uh, strategic sourcing, whether it's components, and we've talked a lot about the reliance on China, Fortress North America now is is moving away to basically uh, improve ties with countries Near China, okay, so that we can continue to leverage some of the uh, efficiencies in the in the Asian region, but not be overly dependent on on the one critical source. Again, that's that that's going to uh, take time, but but we are at least consciously moving in that area.
1: Uh, by the way, with uh, with uh, uh, the LNG tanker thing, uh, another thing is I, I can't tell you the number of times I've done tabletop exercises stuff on terrorists trying to take out an LNG <laughs> tanker. And everybody's fearful of that. And I mean, certainly there is a risk incurred. But if you, if you and, and I say this to anyone who has ever tried to come up with a plan to take out an LNG tanker, it's not as easy as you think. Uh, there's actually a lot more that goes to that. So uh, there was a sort of oversimplification of the risk incurred with that as compared to the benefit. But if I could say one thing, if I may, as long as we're talking about China, some of the things that China did, kind of like Russia did with natural gas, was they got into the rare earth market uh or rare earth elements uh right, okay RWE, right. and and for most when you talk about rare earths they, they they really for most they're not sure what they are they just know that they're rare and they come from the earth okay and that's true they do but as it turns out when you actually do the uh analysis of that they're not actually rare it's actually a very strategic move that china did yes they have uh mines, and they did some very draconian dumping sort of stuff in order to secure that but what they really in many areas they actually got into the processing piece and so a lot of the control they have in that is they strategically invested all right some will call call brute force investment or brute force economics they strategically invested to lock that up so it's not something where it can't change it can get opened up and, and these sort of locks we see these potential blocks could be shifted
2: across the board. So, so excellent. I completely agree. I mean, they, they have by thoughtful, forward-looking action created asymmetric leverage. Okay, there's no question about that. So we, you know, we have to pivot. But again, it's going to be a, a slower boat. You know, there are again Fortress North America. We are sitting on a, a continent of of resources, including rare earths. So between the United States and Canada, we have got significant resources to mine and 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 support ourselves so that'll lead us to some vertical integration and there's a strategic element there we have to harmonize our government policies to facilitate the extraction of these minerals and then move quickly concurrently into the processing facility of it to, to the point you just made and we have to be thoughtful so for example in one of our earlier podcasts we talked about the western hemisphere i mean our friends in south america you know, for both of our benefits, North and South America, have to be vertically integrated to a point. Argentina is the world's fastest growing producer of lithium, okay, which is a critical element for our our EV battery, but we don't have, the US does not have a free trade agreement with Argentina right now. We we should be moving quickly to bring them into the fold and just like the rare rare earth example you brought up, securing that um, conduit to lithium.
1: Well, and, and I should mention uh, for those listening that you and I spent some time talking about lithium and consulting in the lithium arena uh, a couple of years back and looking at that Altiplano region yeah. down there. And of course, you know, that, curve, that lithium triangle, if you will, uh, of Chile, Bolivia, Argentina, and everything that comes from there. But, you know, that goes back to, <coughs> s- you know, securing strategic sourcing. Uh, i gotta tell you my impression at the time was that the us was dragging its feet it was not working quickly in that arena to secure the strategic sources of lithium even though at the same time you have this huge greening movement which is all dependent on batteries primarily focused on lithium ion rechargeable batteries uh we weren't securing uh lithium in fact for a long time that wasn't even a critical uh material that was listed as something that we had to do and certainly what i saw not just in South America, but I also saw this in North America and Mexico, was uh, China stepping in and making strategic investments and in securing that. Bolivia has the largest brine deposit. You know, uh, the 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 Solarda Uni area up there has this huge uh, brine lithium uh, area that they can that, that is will has not been really, you know, fully exploited uh, to any degree. And it kept going back and forth. The Europeans are stepping in there. The U.S. is stepping in there. China's in there. Well, at the end of the day, China ended up securing it, and that is something that I think we let slip through our fingers because, frankly, that's something that we have to have.
2: So, so you know, So again, I agree with you. A lot of what's gone on historically, particularly in North America, has been you know again, let's go to your power example with the EVs, um, a, a regional appreciation, not, not necessarily shared on a federal level. That, that's shifting, okay? So now it's becoming, we are appreciating, appreciating it on a strategic level, level, recognizing the importance. So for example, uh, again, not to pick on China, but just to illustrate in, in objective terms what they've been able to accomplish. With their land and sea partners, over the last decade, they've appreciated a 74 percent increase in trade. Okay, mm-hmm. now that's that's been very conscious. That's that's been by design, as they say. Now the Belt and Road Initiative, which we refer, referred to before, uh, is 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 part of that. But it's also, you know, also hobbling some kind of Pakistan. And Laos, Laos are now facing uh, government uh, uh, default over the deal structures that were introduced. So again, can the West do better? Uh, I would like to argue yes, and can the West must do better for our own strategic benefit with uh, uh, our our overview? I would again say most definitely. I'm going to go back to you. We have have some practical action steps that should be considered here, and um, I'll I'll let you lead off with that and then I'll follow up.
1: Well, as long as you mention Belt Road, that is a very, uh, if you want to say, brute force investment, if you will, brute force economics. Right. That, that entire thing was uh, pretty much state-directed investment for strategic reasons. Very smart. Uh, it did secure strategic sourcing uh, for, for China. Uh, of course, the other part was it kind of ignored the basic economics, the fundamentals, if you will, uh, of how that's done. And, and you may re- you know, I just spent uh, quite a bit of time in South Asia, uh i just recently got back from east africa both of which are big belt and road initiative countries right, right, right. both countries where i it's not like something you talk about i mean i'm literally looking at all these belt and road initiative investments they made and uh and seeing where they have worked and seeing where they've stalled out so it's incurred this incredible uh debt bomb if you will they call it the trillion dollar debt bomb that uh potentially china's looking at but on the other hand they, they did secure strategic sourcing. And in many cases, I look at that, I go, why, why didn't the U.S. or why didn't the U.S. and Canada and its allies work together in a coalition fashion to make sure that we had secured sourcing for some of these things, whether it's raw materials or more processed materials? Why didn't we step in? Why did we just passively sit by and let China do this?
2: So it's Much more of this outside the scope of this particular podcast, but all we can say at this, even with the Niger situation right now, Russia and China are celebrating the status of Africa, Mm -hmm. uh, of the African continent right now. And so, how quickly are we going to be able to react, I'm not, we can't say. In practical terms, we'd like to introduce a couple of thoughts here, and we will also conclude with some tools that we will be making available to you uh, later. First off, you've heard us use the term pivots. Um, that's, that's a, you know, I guess it sounds kind of MBA term, but in any event, uh, there's two ways to go about this. Organically, which we understand the term is natural growth and so forth, or synthetically. That, that's that's typically driven by, you know, obviously an acquisition or an MA process we'll come back to. But the sacred truths that we're used to, they have to be updated. So there are three key points, and we're going to give you more information on this outside of the, what you're receiving right now, is we need to have regionally protected supply chains not necessarily for everything but for strategic materials which we've covered you've heard us in in detail here we need to have redundancy in the supply chain and critical manufacturing as well as manufacturing technologies and you're seeing a lot of that you're reading a lot of that or hearing a lot about that in terms of what technology we're willing to export which is we're going to talk about that in another uh, podcast and in the vertical integration of, of for materials and components. And again, to our that goes back to the secure sourcing. There's a Venn diagram here of business continuity, risk mitigation you hear us talking about, the strategy, the elements we just discussed right now, and then that's good stuff. How do you take it from a whiteboard and actually make it happen? And that's where the overlay of investment banking experience is key. Whether you should be divesting, how do you fill that gap through an acquisition? How do you mitigate risk? by hardening your portfolio uh, you know, with, with the proper tactical banking moves that fit into a, a, a strategic plan of action.
1: Well, I think the investing piece is absolutely crucial. And, and, and some of those things in M&A activity that, that tie to this and that knowledge and understanding is really what makes a resilient supply chain model. You know, one of the things that, that I would point to with this is uh, we talk about redundancy of materials, Look, if you're a major corporation, and, uh, you know, I don't want to pick on any corporations, but let's just say, hypothetically, Apple has large investments in China, okay? Tesla may have large investments in China, okay? I hope I'm not too far out there on a limb. Hey, if they're not doing uh, wargaming, corporate wargaming or strategizing, which looks at a potential war involving the U.S. and China in the South China Sea, That looks at what happens if china tries to go into taiwan that looks at some of these strategic scenarios like that i think they're missing the boat so to speak (laughs) uh, because they're they're really not appreciating what could go on and then also looking at other ways i mean what if there is a massive chinese blockade of taiwan what does that do that doesn't just affect taiwan by the way sixty percent of the container traffic in the world goes in the straits between China and Taiwan. That's a huge amount of trade and by the way that changes the math. You know, we saw that with the Suez when it got blocked for what, a few days? Right. right All of a right. sudden you got ships that are looking around going around the horn because they realize, "Oh my gosh, you know, I can't sit here and wait forever." There are strategic choke points around the world that we see and and we don't often appreciate just how much this could disrupt the supply chain and ask, you know, add a lot of cost to goods sold.
2: Completely agree. And we're gonna cover that in, uh, in more detail in a, in a follow-up podcast, which I think you're all gonna find really interesting. A, a key point that we wanna conclude with here is, again, in, envision the Venn diagram of bringing it all together with you know, the, the strategy, the business continuity, and then understanding, uh, before there's a commitment of material resources, you know what should be done on an investment banking basis we've covered a lot of things here that could be intimidating i mean certainly no one wants to sit around and discuss these scenarios you know on a social basis per se but they have to be accessible to decision makers and again throughout the culture certainly at the board of director level and the c-suite level and that, that's where the leadership is going to come from we will make information accessible to you we've got everything you need in terms of checklists follow-up and Hal, I'll let you uh, you direct traffic from there.
1: As Eisenhower said, peacetime plans are useless, peacetime planning is priceless. Now, before the disaster, before the war, before the next pandemic, whatever it is that would disrupt the supply chain, would disrupt potential sourcing, now's the time to look at this, develop that prepared mind that will help you when this happens. If you want to know more, if you really want to get into it, go to Global Risk Intelligence and Planning, gripsa.com, that's uh, G-R-I-P-S-A that's our website, that's kind of our resource center, if you will, and there's just a lot of tools out there, a lot of approaches that that everyone should be incorporating to be better prepared, because the reality is, things will happen, and being prepared for that makes sure that we are not shut down from those critical sources we need to maintain our business model.
0: strategic risk assessment talk with Hal Kemper and Mark Mansfield podcast
2: weekly from the mutual broadcasting system